In this week's episode of Farmer's Inside Track, how to start a farming business in 10 easy steps. These steps won't give you success overnight, but it promises to get you up to sprinting speed. It's back to basics with Donald Mouton, Fairview's legendary farm manager. Now, if you're a new or aspiring livestock farmer, you'll definitely want to take notes on this one. Farmers chose Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones by James Clear as their book of the week. And the app of the week connects smallholder farmers with the entire agricultural value chain. Investors and farmers alike want clarity and a clear implementation plan regarding the sustainability of the land bank. Stick around because we're chatting to Dr. John Purchase, the CEO of Agbas, for more on that. Urban farmer Butlari Chauke shares her tips for penetrating untapped markets and find out how you can contribute to the well-being of your employees in the Health Squared Agri Update. This is Farmers Inside Track. Supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey Mzanzi, welcome to episode 58 of Food from Zanzi's weekly podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu, and you're listening to South Africa's leading farmers podcast. And I'm Duncan Masiwa, and it is great to be back. Now, if you're willing to hit the ground running this year, then you definitely don't want to miss today's lineup. Right. Let's kick off today's show. Now, starting any business comes with risk. But with the right amount of research and planning, anything is possible. I'm now joined by Donna van Eden, a colleague of mine, who's going to explain how you can start a farming business in 10 easy steps. Starting any business requires risk-taking. And farming is definitely not for the faint of heart. We know it's a jungle out there and running a farming enterprise takes blood, sweat and sometimes even tears. If you're new to the game and want to start your own crop farming business, Food from Zanzi colleague Donna van Eden has connected with a few experts to create a quick checklist of everything you'll need to do to get started, including finding a business partner and mentor. Donna, over to you. Thanks, Dawn. So these tips should help starter farmers think through the decisions they need to make before jumping in. So step one is knowing your climate. Before you start farming, you need to understand the climate, including exposure to elements such as sun and frost and the soil type. Familiarize yourself with the land and the surrounding climate. Step two is knowing your soil. Soil is an incredibly important part for crop production, and you will have to invest in ways to keep your soil healthy if you want high crop yields. The third step is choosing your crops. Now that you know what type of environment and soil you have to work with, you can start doing research on what crop types will be well suited to the area. And as a side note, keep an eye on Food for Mzanzi for articles looking at crops that are niche or growing in popularity this year. I've often heard farmers talking about penetrating the market, but what does that even mean? Step four on your list is do market research. Where do aspiring farmers even start? So at this point in your journey, you know what your environment is like. You know your soil and you have chosen a crop that is well suited to your farm. Now you need to start dreaming about the future. Once you harvest your crop yield, what are you going to do with it? Check out farmers markets, meet with other local producers, 
Speak to customers as you shop in your area and do your research. Step five, draw up a business plan. A business plan is a decision-making tool that takes the form of a formal document. It states your business goals, why you think you can achieve them, and lays out your plan for doing so. Wait, hold up. I've done so much already, and money does not grow on trees. How do I finance this dream? Where will the big bucks come from? You're absolutely right, Dawn. So that brings us to step six, financing your dream. The government knows how important agriculture is. So lucky for you, there are some funding opportunities available in the form of microloans to start your very own small-scale farm. Be sure to check out Food from Zanzi and continue to listen to this podcast for funding opportunities. On to step seven is registering your business. Some agricultural businesses require specific permits, licenses, and rights. You can register your company online on the Companies and Intellectual Property Commission website. You can also register your company via your bank. And step eight is gaining some knowledge. By reaching this step, you might have everything you need to get going with your farming business, but you might want to hold back for just a little while and gain some farming knowledge first if you don't have any prior knowledge or experience of farming. Farming is often romanticized, but going through this checklist really breaks it down. Once I've got my skills in the bag, what next, Donna? Step nine is start slow. You're going to learn a lot as you start your farm. And a lot can go wrong in the beginning while you learn, and that's okay. So start small, experiment a bit if you can, see what works for you, and don't be hard on yourself when something goes wrong. Just learn from it and do better as you move on. And then finally, step 10 is make a name for yourself. Social media is going to be your new best friend. Why? Because of affordable advertising. Farming has become sexy. And there are many new era farmers who are cleverly connecting social media with business opportunities. Use this and you can make a name for yourself online. Thanks, Donovan Eden, Food from Zanzi journalist. Be sure to stay tuned for many more tips on how you can grow your agribusiness. Next up, it's back to basics. Now, if you're a new or aspiring livestock farmer, you simply have to hear what Donald Mutton, the farm manager of Fairview in the Western Cape, has to say. I'm chatting to people now who maybe still want to farm as well. So what resources have you got when you start your animal farming? How big is your property? Or is it a communal place where we all share the same facilities? What is the housing like? What animal are you going to farm with? And Leon and I just chatted about milk goats. A lot of people think, oh, milk goats, it's a goat. Now they've got these nice white Swiss sarnens. But they a very sophisticated animal. They had the same incident that people come there, they want to look at my records and they want to buy the best project in there, the best of the best. But then they go and chase them out there in the felt. They eat a bit of grass and a bit of tweaks on the Port Jacksons and there's no milk production. So get horses for courses. The type of animal that's going to survive under those circumstances, maybe get the bull goat or get the right sheep and and stay away from fancy crossbreeds. Your market, have you done research on your market? What are you gonna do if you wanna add some income? Is there a market, is it meat, is it milk? Chickens that you're gonna sell, happen the same thing. People go into the market, into the shops, and they see 100 grams of goat's milk cheese, 30 plus rand, and that's big money. So they buy a few 
goats start milking, making cheese, but where's the market? So go and do that research as well. As I've said, have you got enough grazing? What's the future like? If you've run out of grazing, have you got the funds to buy a sustainable source of water? And do you know how much water, food, the type of animal you're going to farm with need? So I don't know if you can tell me a cow is lactating, how much water she drinks per day on a nice summer's day. It can be anything from a 60, depending on size, to 100 plus liters. So you've got to know that you've got to have a sustainable source of water. When you start your business, you're going to go into animal husbandry. I always say go and buy the best you can afford. So as I say, when you go and buy, look at the genetics, what you want to buy. doesn't matter if it's pork, goats, cattle, the best. How are you going to breed? Are you going to share with your friends, pull together, buy a good buck or a bull or a ram? So that's also very important, not just taking something because you want calves or lambs, but you want them to be good productive animals. If you're farming for meat, you need a bull and a cow that you know they're going to grow, that they're going to have a good fodder conversion. That what you feed is going to be converted into meat or into milk. So it's not just a case of buying. So do your research. That is very important. Or if you can go in partnership with friends, you can exchange your male animals. And always breed to improve your stock. Look for the best. And one way of improving. In Afrikaans there's a saying, meet om te weet. Measure to know. I've asked so many people, guys brag, they've got a hundred of this goats or cows. And I ask them now, what's your average yield? And they mention a figure and I say, wow. That's extremely low. Why don't you rather select the best, get rid of the rest, buy some good animal. Even if you milk by hand, take your bucket there and see how much liter she gives. Measure the food because you want to see what the fodder conversion is like. She eats 2.5% of a dry matter from body mass. You feed her X kilos, the return is that. So it's no good that you just feed and you don't get return on your investment. As we said, this is a business. You've got to get a return on your investment. So do that. When that calf is born, weigh him. And then on a weekly basis, chase them over the scale and see how they grow. That you can select for the best because it's a business. So when you go and buy, make sure that bull, that buck is fertile. How do you do that? I know maybe it can cost you money. If it's a cow, whatever, go and ask, see where the progeny is. There can be semen tests done. Maybe cost you money, but rather do that than buy an infertile animal. Thanks for joining us, Donald Maton, Fairview Farm Manager in Paul in the Western Cape. Next up, investors and farmers alike want clarity and a clear implementation plan regarding the sustainability of the land bank. As you might be aware, the bank sneaked through horrible financial results on New Year's Eve, revealing an annual total comprehensive loss of more than 2.8 billion rand. To make matters worse, the Auditor General warned of insufficient audit evidence for reported credit losses. Joining us now is Dr. John Purchase, the CEO of Agbers. 
The land bank, which defaulted on 50 billion rand of its debt in April last year, appears for another state bailout, even as governments battles to stave off a fiscal debt crisis. Do you believe that government should come to the bank's rescue or not? Now, the answer is not a simple yes or no. The government must come to assist the land bank to a certain degree, with the land bank holding roughly 29% of all farmer debt in South Africa. The systemic risk to the whole agricultural sector, if government were not to assist land bank, is major and it would have a huge impact on the rest of the agricultural sector. So very important that the government does assist the bank to restructure, get its business model right, its financial model right, and there are specific reasons how it must do this. So yes, government must help. Government have already indicated that they will do this. They already provided $3 billion Rand in the supplementary budget in June 2020, and they've earmarked 7 billion Rand in the MTBPS in October 2020. That is 5 billion for the 2021 22 financial year and a further 2 billion for the 22 23 financial year. We think that is in line with what can be expected given the fiscal crisis that we have. It is going to put a lot of pressure on Land Bank to renegotiate its service level agreements with many agribusinesses. It will have to engage with its investors as how it's going to pay back and service its debts to the investors. Those negotiations are still ongoing. It is so that the investors have asked for state guarantees of 100% and National Treasury have indicated that they cannot provide those state guarantees given the fiscal crisis that we're in. So that is a standoff that still has to be resolved and that would be part of how we develop the model going forward. It is no secret that the dire state of the land bank is also due to Treasury's oversight failure. Who's accountable here? Or rather, who should we be keeping accountable? That is very difficult to say who should be accountable. Certainly not going to name names. I think the land bank has some blame to this, probably also National Treasury and government in general. But we must also know that there have been problems with droughts over the past four or five years, specific areas, especially in the Northwest province, etc. It's a complex of issues that have resulted in the dire straits in which the land bank finds itself today. There's also the question of whether collateral has been correctly priced, whether financing wasn't done too cheaply. There are many fingers that can be pointed and issues that can be raised as to getting into to this position. I can just add that on the accountability factor, I think the Auditor General's report should serve as a basis if we are looking for accountability. I think the Auditor General has done a great job in highlighting the deficiencies and the problems that are experienced, and that should be the basis of any investigation into the land bank and the dire straits that it finds itself in. You're on the record that the land bank should be exploring a new model to ensure sustainability. What would be the key ingredients of such a model? I do agree with that. It should be developed to really look at development finance. And if you want to do development finance, then government has to play a much bigger role in providing assistance. In other words, subsidizing loans or bringing blended finance in so that we can soften up loans. In other words, subsidize or cheapen the rate of lending. In other words, the interest rate. That is what should be done. The land bank shouldn't be competing with the commercial banks, which it has by and large done over the past decades. And it should be looking specifically more at development finance in a niche funding. So it will have to downsize considerably. Government will have to play a much bigger role. Whether government has the resources to play a very significant role, that is another question because of the fiscal crisis. But I think private sector can also play a role in development finance. 
by raising capital also from abroad. We are actually looking for a partnership model in development finance, also between land bank and private sector and government making available funding for blended finance. And that model has actually been developed already. It really just has to be implemented. Do farmers and the private sector have a role to play in saving the land bank? I don't think we need to save the land bank as we used to know it. As I said again, we need to restructure it fairly significantly, considerably. And then if it's sold a mandate as a development bank in agriculture and agribusiness, then I think it will be supported far more strongly. I don't think we can save the land bank as is. It's just not possible. I don't think we have the resources to do that. And in any case, we need competition within the financing sector. So if you're competing and you can't make it, then the private sector will come in and provide other mechanisms for financing. So we're going to see a changing face of agricultural finance in South Africa. The land bank probably going to play a smaller role and a more developmental focused role, but it also creates opportunity for new entrants, new banks that want to enter the space. And we already see that happening. We also see uh, international banks and specialized agricultural banks showing keen interest in South Africa agriculture and also in the development space in South Africa's agriculture. So I'm not all too negative about it. We need to help the land bank to at least meet its obligations and then to restructure in the process. I think government are on the right track and I think National Treasury is on the right track as far as that's concerned. It's tough now for the land bank. It's tough for many agribusinesses that have agreements with the land bank and we have to relook at how we do agricultural finance in South Africa to make it more sustainable, more competitive and more efficient. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. John Purchase, the CEO of Agbers. Wow, Mom, why did you put on this chicken? Well, I was trying a new recipe using grain-filled chickens. Oh, Mom, this is amazing. You can't go wrong with 100% South African farm-quality chicken. With a range of fresh, frozen and marinated products, make grain-filled chickens your number one choice. Grain-filled chickens from the farms of the Free State. Need we say more? If you want quality, ask for grain-filled chickens at a leading store. Grainfield Chickens. Bring home the taste. Visit grainfieldchickens.co.za This is Farmers Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Food Form Zanzi. Now for our book of the week, as selected by our listeners, James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones, explains how to get 1% better every day. One way to think about it is just kind of basic math. Like if you just look at the numbers, if you were able to improve by 1% each day for an entire year and those gains compound, you would end up 37 times better at the end of the year. And if you were to get 1% worse, you would whittle yourself almost all the way down to zero. What's interesting here is that everybody wants a transformation, right? Everybody wants a radical improvement, we want rapid success. But we fail to realize that small habits and little choices are transforming us every day already. For the rest of this talk, there are four stages of habit formation. I'm going to take you through each of those four. So the four stages are noticing, wanting, doing, and liking. Noticing, wanting, doing, and liking. One of my favorite things about noticing, one of my favorite strategies for discussing it, it's called implementation intentions. Many people think that they lack motivation when what they really lack is clarity. They think that they need to get more motivated, that they need willpower in order to execute on a habit. If I just felt like writing, if I just felt like meditating, if I felt like working out, then I would do it. But in fact, they don't have a plan for it, and so they wake up each day thinking, I wonder if I'll feel motivated to write today. I wonder if I'll feel motivated to work out today. But instead, you can take the decision-making out of it by explicitly stating when, where, and how you want to implement the habit. 
it sounds easy to say, let's just start a plan. Let's you know write down exactly what you should do, and then maybe you'll follow through on it. But of course, we all know that there are challenges that arise. It's not quite that easy. So here's a little strategy that I like to use to make sure you can come up with a better plan of action, and it's called a failure pre-mortem. So the way that it works is you think about the habit, the project, the goal, whatever the most important thing is that you want to work on, and I want you to imagine, fast forward six months from now, and you failed. And then tell the story of why you failed. What happened? What challenges did you encounter? What was it that took you off course? Once you have all that stuff laid out on the table in front of you, you can start to make better choices about how to develop a plan. You can start to have if-then plans. So not only do I want to exercise for 20 minutes on Monday at 5 p.m., but also if I do not exercise because I have to take my kid to practice or whatever, then Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. I will go in. Right? You can have ways to adjust for these challenges. Stage two, wanting. One of the most overlooked drivers of habits and human behavior is our physical environment. And this is an interesting insight about our desires. Your environment often influences them. We want things simply, simply because they are an option, right? Simply because they are in front of us at the time. Thankfully, you don't have to be the victim of your environment. You can also be the architect of it. You can decide to design something to make your good behaviors easier and your bad behaviors harder. So when it comes to habits... If you want to practice your guitar more frequently, put it right in the middle of your living room so you run across it all the time. If you want to read more, when you make your bed in the morning, take the book you want to read, put it on top of the pillow. When you come back that night, pick it up, read a few pages, go to sleep. Many of our desires are simply shaped because we have an environment that shapes us in that way. So the moral of this story is I've never seen someone stick to positive habits in a consistent fashion in a negative environment. Maybe you can overpower it once or twice. Maybe you can have the willpower to do the right thing on one day. But if you're constantly fighting against those forces, it's going to be very hard to follow through. Stage three, doing. The important insight here, especially for habits, is that in the beginning, the most important thing is just to shut up and put your reps in. Just make sure that you hone the skill, right? And you can start to think of it, the way that I like to think of it, is that any outcome that you wish to achieve is just a point along the spectrum of repetitions. So if you have few reps to more reps... And you can imagine an easy goal, a moderate goal, a hard goal. The more reps that you put in, the more, that you, more likely you, you are to achieve that goal. Now, what I like to say is you should optimize for the starting line, not the finish line. Right? So often when we think about habits, goals, routines, achievements, it's all about the milestone. We think about how much weight we want to lose, how much money we want to earn, how many subscribers we want to have. It's all fixed on the finish line. But instead, if you can optimize for the starting line and make it as easy as possible to get started and get your reps in, Often the outcomes just come as a natural result. What a powerful book by James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. Remember, you can also email info at foodformzanzi.co.za if you want to suggest the next book of the week. Next up, we're catching up with founder and CEO of Farmer's Assistant, Lena Mapanga. She founded the business and app that aims to connect smallholder farmers with the entire agricultural value chain. Hi, my name is Lina Mapanga. I'm from Farmer's Assistant. Farmer's Assistant is an online platform that connects smallholder farmers with financial service providers, other resources such as land. So the benefits of using Farmer's Assistant is you become part of a, a global community of smallholder farmers or a nationwide organization of smallholder farmers. So your benefits being part of Farmer's Assistant is that you get access to finance. So since we're working with different financial service providers, farmers are able now to access financial products that they were not 
able to acquire or were not able to get before, but now they're able to get through farmers' assistant. And then we also help with things like information and we offer extension services on our call center and also online using our chatbots. And another benefit is that since you're part of a nationwide organization, we're able to buy imports and other agricultural products that you need for your farm through our platform so that you can get discounted prices as being part of farm assistance. So what we do, we go up in front and negotiate prices with suppliers, but not just that, we also make sure that our farmers have access to markets. So what we're doing, we're trying to create a value chain that smallholder farmers can play in or can be able to, to survive in. Because as we have seen with the, with the formal uh, commercial uh, farming sector, smallholder farmers, sometimes they don't fit into all that value chain. So we decided that let us create our own value chain on the side that will assist smallholder farmers. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. Remember to stay tuned to our chat with urban farmer Vutlari Chauke. But first, the Health Squared Agri Update Empowering Future Focused Farmers. This week, Bianca Falyun, the Director for Marketing, Distribution and Rewards, unpacks how agility can help to contribute to the well-being of your employees. I'm joined once again by Bianca Fulhum. She's the Director of Marketing, Distribution and Rewards at Agility Agri. And today we are unpacking the Health Squared and Agility Agri Way Agility Employee Wellbeing Program. She's going to be telling us more specific why this is important for you as a future-focused farmer and what are some of the benefits that you should know about and understand better. Bianca, welcome back and it's great to have you with us again. Thank you, Dawn. So Bianca, maybe you can tell us about the Agility Employee Wellbeing System solution. It's specifically tailor-made to suit the agricultural industry's unique needs, but maybe you can start by telling us about some of the key objectives. The Agility Employee Wellbeing Program was specifically designed around the unique requirements of the agri-sector. Now, an employee wellbeing program is something that goes above and beyond medical scheme cover or primary healthcare cover. Now, to give you some context into exactly what that means is it really is the softer side of looking after employees well enough, you know, to ensure their their overall well-being. And the program is really structured in a way to facilitate lifestyle requirements. And I'm going to give you one or two examples. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced a lot of employees sort of back into their homes, back into a social environment that's not always very positive. So if, if there are social issues, whether it's problems within the family or domestic abuse, things like that affects the employee's ability to function optimally 
to work and be productive while they're at work. And there's actually a specific term when it comes to being at work but not being productive, which is referred to as presenteeism. And interesting enough, presenteeism is costing South African employers almost three times as much as absenteeism is. So someone that's at the office, whether it's in an agri sort of business or someone that's working on the farm, but they're sitting with this at the back of their mind, you know, it's perhaps a, like I mentioned, a family problem or it's a financial problem. Something like that could cause significant damage in terms of productivity and functionality while they're at work. So managing that presenteeism risk is a vital element, especially in the farming community. And we've had various discussions with employees and farmers in that space, big challenge to them. They look after the employees almost like it's family. And very often farmers don't know how to speak to this need, you know, how to speak to and deal with this problem in order to look after the employees on a better level. So that is really the tool or the mechanism that we developed for the agri space. I think you've touched on a few of it already, but the solution obviously offers employees on the farm various services for their overall well-being, including legal advice, dedicated a nursing line support in terms of emotional well-being and financial independence. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the features, specifically focusing on the core program and the comprehensive program. You know, very often farmers or employers in general have the understanding that if they subsidize medical aid, for instance, or any healthcare type benefit, that they've done their part. And they've now given the employees access to some level of cover. While that's all good and fine, as I mentioned earlier, the softer side of employee well-being and employee benefits is a vital aspect. You did refer briefly to some of the services offered, but take, for instance, legal trouble, personal legal trouble. So that can range from getting divorced and requiring assistance with a contract or a family member perhaps experiencing difficulties with legal or legal problems. Things like that have a significant impact, employees' overall mental space, psychological well-being. And again, very often they don't feel comfortable in going to the farmer or going to the employer with this problem because it's such a personal thing. So we provide all our health squared employer groups as well as groups on the agility products with a free core employee well-being program. Now, it gives them that little bit of access to some professional advice telephonically when they need it most. So whether it's legal, as we just mentioned, speaking to a legal specialist and just getting some guidance and some advice in, in how to deal with this issue. Similarly, we do it on a dedicated financial helpline. Very often, financial troubles can cause significant harm and also trouble employees, you know, on a large scale. So now they have access to a telephonic helpline to assist with debt problems, debt counseling, for instance, or just budgeting advice, something that very often people take for granted. And that stuff, it makes sense. It makes sense giving employees access to these types of benefits because otherwise they wouldn't have any resource that they can go to. So it also includes a psychology helpline. So mental health has become a massive thing 
during the course of lockdown and the COVID pandemic. So speaking to a psychologist telephonically is also a big contribution to overall employee well-being. And then it also gives you access to a medical helpline to speak to a nurse if your child is sick and you don't understand what's going on and you can't get to a doctor, but perhaps just need some guidance in terms of side effects of taking something or just generally looking after the family. So those four services are included on a free program. We don't charge any value for those services. And then the Comprehensive Employee Wellbeing Program gives access to a lot more specific needs, you know, things like HIV counseling, HIV testing, and VCT is very real in employers' lives and in the agri-sector. So that's a lot more involved where we have face-to-face counseling with employees. And even after traumatic events, traumatic events happen all the time. So if there's a very specific need in the farming business for something like this. And if there was a situation that needs to be dealt with on a professional level, we sent those professionals in there to speak to them on a more personal basis. And one-on-one disease management, for instance, is also you know a factor that comes into play in the agri-space quite often. So these additional services, those are paid for, is also done so at discounted rates because we understand the value and we understand the impact it has on the agribusiness. Bianca Falun, she is the Director for Marketing, Distribution and Rewards at Agility Agri. And she spoke to us today about the Agility Employee Wellbeing Solution. Great to chat to you and everything of the best with the work that you're doing. And I think the last point from me would be now more than ever, we need to consider the well-being of ourselves and who we work. So thank you so much. Thanks, Dawn. Thanks for having us. That's it for this week's Health Squared Agri Update. Coming up next, Chef Unati Daniel went from engineering to waitressing. But in the end, it was food and cooking that stole her heart. For me, I'll say the secret to the perfect South African meal is a meal that is done on the fire outside with a three-legged pot. Believe me, you nothing beats that taste. It just takes you back to the Eastern Cape, you know, as Lalini. You know, we are closer people. I'm closer. We are known for loving our meats. So I'm just imagining in a lamp, in Yamikusha, on that pot, fire with just salt. And then that is being served with simple. That taste, for me, that's it. It's so fulfilling, you know. Just reminds me of my grandparents, the whole family gathered around the fire. And yeah, we just talk about everything. Yeah, so that secret for me is a food that is being cooked outside on the fire with a three-legged pot. Thanks, Chef Unati Daniel. And be sure to check out her interview and mouth-watering Mopani worm chocolate tree and ginger crumble soil recipe on Food Form Zanzi. We've just about reached the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track episode. But before we let you go, for those feeling discouraged to start their own venture, urban farmer Vutlari Chaoke says, feel the fear and enter the space anyway. She advises that thorough product and market research is vital to penetrating any market. If one is feeling discouraged to establish their own venture, I believe that they need to feel the fear and enter the space anyway, because business life is about managing risk and continuous change. I'm a believer that someone else has gone through what you might be fearing the most. So do your own research, find mentors, people that will help you understand the journey that you're on so that you're able to pay as little school fees as possible. But you know what? Some kind of enchanted waters is actually what makes life and it's that extra spice to make this journey quite exciting. 
So when you enter new spaces, you need to bring your own flair, try to be different so that you can stand out because competition is tough out there. And Vutlani Choke's Farmer Tip of the Week brings us to the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Food from Zanzi. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists to go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, your family members and fellow farmers. The Farmers Inside Track podcast is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on foodfilmzanzi.co.za. From me, Dornumdu, Duncan Masiwa and the rest of the Food Film Zanzi team, have a great week. And please, let's continue to keep each other safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.